Hello and welcome to the For Real podcast. The show that discusses music, film, and most importantly, furries. So on today's episode, I'm joined by Cool Dragon Zay, a music maker in a furry band and also a game creator as well. So hi, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, no worries. How are you? How's your day been so far? How's your day been just before we start? Be good? Yeah, uh, so far I've I've woken up. Uh, I've had some tea and, mm-hmm. and now I'm here. So it's been a pretty good day. Oh, nice. I had some tea today. I went to a, uh, it's, weird, it's weird you say that. I went to a tea room today, actually, like a proper posh tea room. It was like proper weird ass like herbal blends and stuff, but it was so cool. Like they had like a festive blend for Christmas. It, uh, it was like really nice, but it was posh as fuck. So like I felt really really like out of place there because i was with my uh, girlfriend like and everybody there was like in shirts and suits and shit and i was just like sat there like oh my god <laughs> but it was nice i liked it i'm super jealous i i had two cups of imported matcha so i'm doing good i'm pretty oh, wired nice. but that sounds great yeah it's super cool i mean uk is known for like tea and stuff but tea tea and crumpets and all that rubbish but it's not all that you know i don't even have crumpets so <laughs> yeah i i had tea and a side of roast beef it was probably Ooh, not a great nice. pairing to be honest i mean i mean it worked out it's a, it's a unique it's a unique blend as i would say that's that's a unique kind of we do this is so weird so coming up to christmas shops i swear they do like um pigs and blankets do, do you guys have pigs and blankets is that is that, or is that just a uk thing um at furry cons there's usually pigs and blankets but you mean like like the food yeah like the food so it's like sausage and then like a bit of bacon rolled over it some specific like supermarkets do pigs and blankets cups of tea it's so weird and i'm like how is that nice i've I've never tried it before to be fair but i just how is that like i don't know why i would buy that <laughs> i mean i i'd eat it i i, I say that about most foods but but that sounds great still. But in a drink though, like, would it work? I don't know. That's so. I, odd, I don't know. I'm the <laughs> I'm the type of guy who used to like dip his Doritos in milk, so I can't really <laughs> speak to anything. Oh, that's a vibe. Okay, so let's just kind of start off by talking about. I mean, I usually go straight into the creative stuff, but what's your kind of experience with the fairy community, just personally? How long have you been part of like the the fandom, as they would say? Yeah. So so funny enough, like going through most of my like adult life like right after high school mm-hmm. my my social circles basically just became other people in in the industry i chose and i i didn't really have a lot of friends out outside of that and yeah. it wasn't until like 5 years ago that i met some furries at a um at a furry convention or sorry a science fiction convention Ooh. convention i got the word um <laughs> in newfoundland believe it or not and they invited me back to their place to play a smash brothers tournament and oh, i'm like dope. I'm like, I've seen furries on the internet. They're weird. But then I went there and I'm like, oh, wow, these guys are the best ever. And then suddenly I was a furry for life. That's so cool. I am um, into Smash tournaments. Not as much anymore because obviously with COVID, there isn't any actually on. And I hate the Smash Ultimate Wi-Fi. So I do not play online. So It's so bad. Yeah, it sucks. So like I've kind of stopped playing for a while, but that's so cool. Uh, so that was a science fiction convention. It's interesting because... Uh, Vixen Dunk, uh, um, a guest that we had on a few episodes before this, uh, she uh, found out about furries through like an anime convention, and there was like a little group of furries that used to go there, and that's how you know she found out about it. So it seems to be like little subcultures of like science fiction stuff and like anime stuff that kind of brings another subculture of furries together, which is a really interesting concept to me. 
Yeah, you know, I mean, it, it, it's interesting after after meeting the furries at the sci-fi convention because because I'd known about furries of mm-hmm. course, but I, I didn't really know furries. Um, I, I started just googling furries in the area and just discovered there were so many. Like I, I had no idea it was such a big thing. And mm-hmm. and once you're like in the furry fandom, it's funny because you see furries everywhere. And I, I don't mean that in like a weird hallucinatory way. I just simply mean that <laughs> you become aware of the presence of furries all oh, yeah. around you. So. Yeah, it's it's a giant community, and I'm I'm thrilled to be part of it. We were talking about this on, on another episode again about how it, you there's somebody that I like spotted wearing like a furry hoodie, and I was like, yo, I know that shit, like I know that's furry stuff. And if I wasn't part of this community, I would have like no idea whatsoever. So it's super interesting that you kind of like can suss out who you think's part of the fandom or not and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, I, I like to play a dangerous game at work where like I'll be in a Zoom call and I'll throw on like a furry shirt and just like see if <laughs> anyone recognizes it oh man it's a fun way to meet new furries i've only got one fur well furry shirt it's this one that my friend bought me i put it on twitter it's like a joe christmas one and it says like i'm only wearing this because i can't wear my fursuit and it's a bit cringe to be <laughs> honest but it's funny I as shit it. and I, I i made it work in an outfit so kind of kind of a vibe what's your experience with conventions because i haven't been to any conventions have you been any or how many have you been to and you know what kind of experiences you had yeah so so obviously 2020 not too many conventions but mm-hmm. on most years that aren't you know where the world isn't ending i tend to make it to maybe six to eight conventions actually that's I, mad. Uh, what a year yeah a year oh. i was i was dragged to my first convention by some friends uh when i lived in shreveport louisiana and mm-hmm. i just kind of became addicted to it i guess you could say like you don't really appreciate how awesome this community is like mm-hmm. until you go to a convention and just meet other people yeah. in the fandom it really takes on a whole new meaning it's definitely something that i'm personally looking forward to hopefully if uh the big convention in the uk confuzzled goes on next year but fingers crossed but i mean you can't really ex- expect or kind of prepare for anything with ev- the pandemic, et cetera, going on. So, you know, I'm, I'm I'm being optimistic, but I'm also being a realist. I'm not letting myself get too carried away and excited about it because I, I'm unsure if it's going to go ahead or not. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm happy that like um, VR chat is kind of oh, enabled yeah. furries mm-hmm. to have like uh, still a way to kind of meet even if it's online. But but still, there, there's really nothing like an in-person convention. So as soon as you know, Confuzzled goes back up. I hope you're able to make it out. It's a really oh. good time. Oh, I appreciate it. Have you been to CFZ? I, I haven't, unfortunately. I have a few friends that have been like yelling at me to get out there. Uh, <laughs> it's it's a little bit of a walk from it, it, California, yeah, yeah, unfortunately. It's expensive, I'm, I, I assure you. I mean, it's even expensive. The trains in the UK are like still expensive as well. So I can't even imagine how much a flight would be and then a train from London to Birmingham. So I definitely understand that. I'm looking forward yeah. to experiencing it though, definitely. Trying to think. Let's just kind of move on to the creative stuff you make. So let's start with your uh, video game kind of stuff you make, like the uh, game design. How long have you been doing that for overall? So I, I feel weird whenever I say this, but I think about 13 years. That's insane. Uh, right a- yeah, right after high school, I went mm. straight into the game industry. It's It's been quite a journey. Um, What's your like, off, a little bit off topic from like, your personal kind of journey and your games but gotta ask a question like what is your favorite video game or a few of your favorite video games yeah um i i'm tempted to give some old school answers like chrono trigger or mm-hmm. like you know pokemon red or dynamite heady for the genesis but but instead i'm, I'm actually going to throw some newer games that really changed my life um 
Dark Souls, obviously. I'm a mm-hmm. huge Souls fan. Um, I'll go on and on, so I'm going to stop myself right there. Um, <laughs> Persona 4 and Binding of Isaac are two recent titles oh, nice. that I've absolutely fallen in love with. My um, friend l- loves Persona. Uh, he got me a Play P5, but I only did like the first, because I'm, I'm very shit when it comes to finishing games. So I like cleared the first palace, I think, and then just didn't pick it back up. But P4 is interesting. That's like... Because I think it was only released in the UK on like, um, it's like, is it Persona 4 Golden or something that was released on the PSP, maybe the PS Vita? Yeah, so, I think that was it. Yeah, so my friend had to buy a PS Vita just so he could play Persona 4 Golden, which is like super weird. It. I mean, I, I absolutely would buy a system to play a new Persona game. Mm-hmm. That's just me though. Yeah. I would say one of my favorite games uh, of the past few years, I know this is a bit of a fairy bias, but uh, Night in the Woods. Uh, really really spoke to me i loved it so much uh the dialogue the art design obviously all the characters are like furries so that's a bit of a bias but just overall the design of everything and i have the uh soundtrack on vinyl as well which is really really nice because i think the soundtrack's lovely i'm i'm the world's worst furry game designer in the sense that i have not yet played a night in the woods it's been on my list forever and i still haven't checked it out it's a it's a to be fair it's it's not too long of a like a story slash campaign but it is also i've got to say it's something that i think you should devote time to in a sense that you want to sit down and focus and like read and really get yourself engaged in it um when i was on holiday i think it was was i in greece i think I played it for the first time. Oh no, I was thinking might be in Croatia, but I was in like the some kind of woodland campsite with my family, uh, where we were staying. And I remember I used to stay up on like the kind of decking of the of the caravan campsite thing, and just like it'd be nice and warm outside. Like, obviously, it's like a hot European country, and we would just I would just sit on like one of the sunbeds at night and just play it in the woods, and it'd be fucking so dope. Like it'd be so immersive and really nice. And just have like a little light on or whatever while playing. It's just really nice. That's amazing. Yeah, it's it's amazing how much like your environment can affect your experience with the oh, game. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. per- Persona Four, for example, one of the big themes in it is is rain. And when I was living in Boston, yeah, I've I've lived all over the place. When I was living in Boston, uh, it was raining almost every day, and it just really made the game world a part of my world. And you know, every time I see rain to a degree, like I I think about that game. So games have that power it's amazing it's like um i know it's not p uh, i know it's not that persona game but p5 had a lot of remixes or like re re kind of like yeah like remixes of the songs with like added rain sounds and stuff because these be really relaxing i forgot what the song's called but it's really it's like played when um i think it's just played is like is like it's just a normal theme but it's a really relaxing theme it was just really really nice when people added like rain sounds like lo-fi hip-hop kind of stuff going into but definitely there's a lot of I have like a entire SoundCloud playlist just dedicated to like relaxing video game music and I've obviously got a few like Animal Crossing songs on there. But a lot of it's persona related and like the save the safe room theme in Persona 5 is really nice as well. And I can, I think it's kind of interesting to see that I played 20 hours of that game probably or like 25 hours cuz I did like obviously the introduction in the first um what's it called the first not dungeon i forgot what's called the first heart or whatever i really can't remember um a palace that's a palace first palace and i still think the music like did such a massive impact on me that even though i wasn't i didn't play that much of the game and even though i hadn't played it in a while i still come back and listen to the music and i do think similarly to um films 
I feel like a film score is adamant in order to make a film successful. I didn't used to think that, but I've watched a lot of films recently with like outstanding soundtracks. And now it's something that I really think about when I'm like kind of analyzing and reviewing a film. And I think the same kind of goes for video games. I think video game soundtracks are very, very important. And I mean, just think about uh, music in video games and how influential some of it is to kind of modern media as well. Yeah, I hopefully this isn't too technical, but I, I kind of consider uh, in video games, music being one of the, the keys to retention. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is, you know, it could be years since you played a game, but if a game has a strong melody, uh, if there's strong music in the title, you might find yourself humming it, which will make you think about that game again, which could in turn make you want to go back and play it. Um, one of the things that I strive for in every title that I work on is making sure that the motif uh, of each song in the game, especially Pivotal Moments, is really pronounced and is capable of getting stuck in your head so that many years later, it could still cross your mind. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, you do video game stuff and you do musical stuff with your band. We'll get onto that later, but uh, do you want to kind of go through the uh, game you're working on at the moment a little bit more? Yeah, uh, for sure. Um so I released a, a game called Mike Dies on Steam. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like this Metroidvania platformer with like a really surreal story. It's kind of like if David Lynch made a Metroidvania. <laughs> so uh, it's it's pretty interesting. It was it was really well reviewed. Uh, it actually won a convention called Momocon, which was really cool. It was a game and show or one of the games and show. And uh, yeah, we uh, we may be getting ready to release it on other platforms. Yeah, uh, I can't quite disclose which ones yet but keep an eye out for it it's called mike dies it's really neat and it's on steam now nice it's really really Hashtag cool. plug <laughs> definitely check the game out how uh, long did you guys work on it a little bit before you kind of released it on steam was it a big project I, I don't i don't want to admit it but i'll tell you um it took us five years five years okay mad i mean this is a kind of thing i think about a lot when i'm consuming when i'm like engaging with media people don't realize how much how long it takes to create a piece of media whether it be an album or a game or a film and release something that you're happy with and you feel like reflects what you want to show to the world and i think it's really interesting like five years might seem long to some people but it's what you need in order to kind of release something that you're proud of and release the product that you wanted to do at the end of the day yeah, it's it's difficult because a lot of people who are like just getting into game development, they have this these aspirations for this gigantic project, but until you really start developing the title, it's difficult to really grasp the time commitment that's going to involve and for some reason our team was crazy enough to pull it off twice actually. This is our second game. Um but but it's a very difficult journey for anyone looking to get into it. Definitely. It can be done, but good luck. Would you say that working as a team is really important with video game uh, creation. I'm going to guess it is. Oh, yeah. I mean, you've got those like whiz kids, quote unquote, who can make an entire game by themselves. But <laughs> but the reality is, is you know, it, at least it's my belief that that no game is the vision of any one auteur, as it would, uh, mm-hmm. as you would. I, I believe that the vision of a game needs to come from a collective group of people all in sync with what they're trying to create. And that's how you create the most compelling products. I know myself... I've had a lot of success as a game developer and I wouldn't have had any of that if it hadn't been a team backing me up that I could collaborate with and bounce ideas off of. Yeah, definitely. I think it goes for anything really. Working with multiple people is always lovely. 
and it always kind of improves your ideas and improves an overall product. But in order for it to work successfully, you need to all work together, which is fantastic. And it seems like you've definitely done that with this game as well. I mean, I'm looking through some of the screenshots. I'll um, pop them up on the YouTube, uh, kind of the YouTube version of the podcast. Some of them are lovely. I love the shot on the Steam page with the... Um, I'm guessing it's that a boss. It's like a skull with like wings and stuff. Looks so cool. I love that yeah, so much. That that's our demon. He took that boss fight with him took probably probably six months because what you don't really realize is there's about five minutes of constant animation on that boss. And you know, that that's equivalent to an entire animated short film and the process of mapping out every individual move with the actions that were required of the player. Uh, it, it was quite a bit of time. It's it's kind of a miracle it made it into the game, to be honest, but we're really happy with how it turned out. So many little things like that just make it just so well made, and it feels like you've put a lot of time and effort, obviously, with the five years, and definitely it feels like there's a lot of passion put into this as well, definitely. Yeah, I mean, so th- there's there's kind of like, two trains of thought when you're when you're trying to get into game development and make something mm-hmm. for yourself um the first is obviously keeping something in scope in the sense that you don't want to make something that you're not going to be able to finish right but at the same time you have to be passionate about what you do or else you're not going to finish it so we try to ride that line but we do sometimes veer a little bit too too closely <laughs> to passion and a little farther further away from scope nothing wrong with a bit of passion it's just that's the thing I have ideas for so many different projects and so many different, uh, you know, different kinds of media projects like making music or like making a podcast or making films. And sometimes I'll get carried away with an idea and I will realize this will not be doable like 100%. But it's hard to maintain your creativity sometimes. But I think you've definitely found a middle ground with this game where it's a realistic project to achieve and it also looks stunning. So I think it's a fantastic thing. Yeah, th- thank you so much. Yeah, it's so, so one 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 of the the most interesting parts about game development, I guess, any project in general, is is coming back to what you were saying, the idea of you know what happens when you discover that your project is is too big, mm-hmm. that it's not going to be easy to finish. I, I I think that the second part of that equation is is being able to recalibrate your dream. Right, it's good to have a dream, but you also need to be able to adjust it. Uh, Mike dies. In fact, the reason the development took so long was the first two years were spent making a different game. We originally wanted this to be a music platformer, believe it or not. Oh, and interesting. Yeah, circumstances beyond our control forced us to make a, a course correction, and as a result, we turned it into a Metroidvania. So, yeah, adjustment, it's it's important. Do you think it was the uh, right adjustment to do, would you say? At the time, we weren't thrilled uh, that we had to make the adjustment, but uh, ultimately, I think the game benefited from it. it it certainly turned out to be a more unique game and because my skills as a developer grew over the course of it probably a better game too oh yeah that's a uh, definitely kind of interesting way to see um development as a whole as well do you think you'll ever make obviously i'm trying to link it back to the fairy side do you think you'd ever want to make a, a fairy title or at least a game with a you know anthropomorphic character or is it, is it something that you want to do or is it something that's maybe on the tables a little bit well so funny enough like really one of my biggest regrets with Mike dies is that it, it wasn't an anthropomorphic character. Mm -hmm. Um, there, there's definitely some hints of anthropomorphism in the title. Um, but the character himself is just, just some dude. He's, he's still an interesting character for sure. And we're happy with how he came out. But I, 
I, I'm a big fan of the fandom. Every, every work that I've done since has starred basically almost all furry characters. So cool. if, if I jump back to game development, you can absolutely expect at least one Anthro Dragon in there oh, somewhere. fantastic. Well, I'm looking forward to if you release any future projects with fairy stuff, because if I see any fairy stuff, I'll instantly buy and I'll instantly play. Easy. <laughs> Easy. Uh, let's kind of talk more about your music side of your creativity. Uh, you're in a fairy band, which is a very interesting concept let's talk about that <laughs> yeah um so it, it it started off with just me and some buddies in new orleans and we were just jamming because we were all we were all musicians and then we we were all also furries so we're like hey we should we should probably perform somewhere so our, our first concert was at tff oh right the band name that's important uh we're called divine dragon cannon uh i'm i i, I do the vocals and in keyboards and uh we're a four-piece power metal band we're really over the top and crazy you might have seen us at cons before but uh yeah we're, we're still at it uh 2020 has been a hit to everybody obviously but uh we'll be back and with a lot new really cool stuff that's so cool do you guys play in suit though is that the question do you, it must be hard if you do so yeah wearing a fursuit is rough playing an instrument in a fursuit is very rough mm -hmm. um I find that if I wear a fursuit for more than one song, I I will literally die. So um, get so hot. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I I usually try to do at least one song in fursuit. Uh, nobody else really dresses up, and I, I can't blame them. Since we're a power metal band, all of the parts are incredibly incredibly intense. So mm -hmm. for the sake of heat exhaustion, we try to we we try to keep our our tires a bit more bare. So you guys have um kind of one EP that's on Bandcamp, don't you? Yeah, yeah, we've just got one EP out so far. Uh, we're working on a on a single. I think that's been announced. <laughs> yeah, it's it's free. Go check it out. Divine Dragon Cannon. We have a Twitter. We have Patreon. We have all those good things. You know, all the things a band should have. So let's talk about more the experience at TFF. What kind of? Obviously, I'm gonna assume obviously everyone was supportive of the gig there. Obviously, but what's your experience of playing live? Do do you like it? Is it obviously is it nervous and stuff? <laughs> yeah, it, it's funny. So I I've been performing for for most of my life. I I actually come from a family of musicians. Both of my parents oh, so are cool. professional musicians. In fact, they 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 took me aside one day when I was growing up and they said, "You see what we're doing for a living? Don't ever do this. Don't <laughs> ever ever do this." I showed them no. Um, <laughs> so I, I didn't do that professionally, but I still enjoy doing it uh, on the side. Mm -hmm. And as stated, I've been doing it all my life, but but getting up on stage, I mean, it's what I live for, basically. But at the same time, right before I do it, it doesn't matter how many times I've been up on stage. I'm always nervous. Like every single time I'm nervous. And then the second I'm in front of people, the nervousness is gone instantly. It's a bizarre experience. I think other people go through that too, I'd hope. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I mean, it's something that you get used to over time as well, but especially for kind of something as big as TFF or a furry convention, at least you know that you have one major interest in mind that links with the personality and the presentation of the band, which is being a furry, which is nice. Yeah. I mean, our, our first song, the, the first word of the song is me screaming dragons at the top of my lungs for like eight <laughs> measures. So we're, we're definitely, I, I think our, our band probably transcends above solely furry appeal, but we're, we're definitely, we're, we're all furries through and through. Oh, definitely. It reminds me of, uh, there's a band I used to listen to back to when I was really into like pop punk and rock when I was like 15, 16. Area 11, most of their songs or all of their songs were about anime and stuff. 
but it was kind of disguised in a sense that you could listen to it and not be an anime or know what the show specific what specific show they're singing about or whatever and it still just sounds like a really nice storytelling generic kind of uh rock song which is really nice as well do you guys add obviously you said like you scream and drag it on one of your songs do you add a lot of furry references and furry kind of things to your music or you just kind of go with the flow and just write whatever yeah we, we kind of like write whatever comes to us i guess you could say we, we have an ongoing story that kind of underlies the entire song experience but a lot of furry stuff kind of creeps out in what we do whether we want it to or not like we're all kind of unironically sonic fans and so nice. some of our so- songs <laughs> tend to be sonic the hedgehog inspired um but yeah i i think even if we tried to not write furry stuff it you know we're furries it, it's just going to come out no definitely especially when you have when you have four band members is it four, four of you in the band when you have yeah when you have four people that are all furries there's gonna be something there's, there's gonna be everybody's gonna want to do that as well definitely T- technically one of them isn't a furry but we, we've made him an honorary furry <laughs> that's like me with like all my friends all my friends joke about like oh well you know i guess furries aren't too bad and i'm like yo what's your favorite animal what's your favorite animal there's no no there, i mean Psych, i'm just asking you're a furry now <laughs> I would love that. I don't know why I think about this like so much, but I would love to get all my non-furries, non-furry friends in me like a commission of like all of us hanging out or some shit and they all have assigned animals. I don't know. It's just really cool. I just like the idea of that. I, I, I would love to surprise one of my non-furry friends with like a, a ref sheet and say, this is you now. Deal with it. <laughs> because there's some people's personas and you see them in real life or like at least a photo of them and you go like, oh my god, you look exactly like your Sona or your personality or your appearance like literally fits your Sona so well. Yeah, I used to think that like, you know, after creating Zay as a persona, like I, I started taking on some of his his character traits and then I I, I realized, like I thought for, for a while that I was like getting too far into character, that I was method acting to a degree, so to speak. But But in reality, I mean, Zay is what a to me what a persona's definition is. It's it's an amplification of traits that already exist inside me, and that part of me is going to come out dragon or not. Yeah. The dragon simply enables it. That's exactly it. Because Dan, to me, I've spoken about this before on a few podcast episodes. Dan, to me, is me, but more confident and a little obnoxious, which I can be sometimes. And I think Dan kind of represents the confidence I. Um, kind of aim to be more I, I want to be more confident and I want to make more creative stuff and I want to kind of be myself more and I think um, since starting to become a fairy like you know over like a year ago uh, or around over a year ago I think I have became more confident with who I am and became more confident with just me as a whole which is really nice to think about that this hobby that I've begun to do has affected my personal life positively as well yeah it's it it's funny like I, I i especially during 2020 i've been through several times where i've kind of not been in a great place mentally or like mm-hmm. there would be a challenge in front of me that was just simply a little bit too difficult to overcome and and in those incredibly dark moments like you know i'd be reaching for anything that could lift me up so to speak and and zay happened to be there i'm just like wait a second i can do this i'm a motherfucking dragon <laughs> that's exactly it that's so cool 
I mean, we're on almost half an hour now, so I think we'll move on to the album of this week, which was Team Dream by Beach House. So yeah, Teen Dream is one of my favorite albums ever. Beach House is one of my favorite bands ever. Um, it, it It's funny because when I listen to music, I tend not to really process the lyrics, which is bad because I'm a lyricist. But Teen Dream, regardless of what it means, it it just really takes me on a journey whenever I experience it. Like a journey of a relationship formed out of almost necessity and... Um, and then just a really strong bond emerging from it. It's difficult to explain exactly exactly what that story is in my head, but whatever semblance of that story exists plays out every time I hear it, and it's a journey I love taking. Well, to go back to that point you said about lyricism and stuff, literally in one of the episodes I was talking about E by Echo 2K, I just don't focus on the lyrics, and I just listen to the sound, and it's so weird because then I'll go back to an album and I'll listen to it and I'll realize the kind of underlying tones of some of the lyrics, etc. So it's something I definitely ignore. Like I Sometimes I'll be singing songs with my mates and I'll sing the lyrics and they'll go, that, those aren't the lyrics. And I'm like, what? I, sw- I swear they were. <laughs> and it's just weird how kind of people listen to music differently. I focus on the instruments more, but then some people focus on the lyrics more. And it, it is really interesting how us as people can kind of consume music differently. So Yeah. It usually takes me around 30 listens before I'm like, all right, I'm going to find out what the lyrics are. And and sometimes they're really disappointing. Like there was a band, I don't even remember what the band was called at this point. I used to listen to it all the time. And I was just really, really into 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 one of their songs. I, I, would, I would jam out to it every time it came on. And then I'm like, all right, let's find out what they're saying. It's like the lyrics were like, let's party in the club and get some <laughs> girls. I'm like, really? Like <laughs> the song sounds so deep. And then that's what it's throwing yeah. down. Very disappointing. So now I listen to Team Gene. Okay, I listen to front, uh, back to front, right, or front to back, or whatever the fuck. And I gotta say, right, bro, are you okay? Like, are you actually okay? Because <laughs> <laughs> this, this this album, my god, it was lovely, but it was incredibly melancholic. Like, really, really kind of dark. Like, like kind of depressing tones. And it's nice. It is nice, but it was very, very kind of. I don't know, it's a bit of a you know, sad album. So do you want to maybe go into that a little bit more? I don't know if you kind of agree with me or <laughs> Oh, I, I totally agree. In fact, like I've I found myself like it, it's funny because when you listen to a sad album, like your good mood can go sour, and if you're in a bad mood, you can feel better. And I I've listened to that album probably hundreds of times. Uh I, I actually first took Beach House in when I wasn't in a, a great place mm-hmm. in my life and it's weird how how music can do this uh even when it's it's miserable but just hearing the sounds and the experiences conveyed in that album like kind of made me feel better about my own situation um and it it got me through a lot of stuff it it brought me it brought me a lot of happiness and if you really want to feel depressed by the way uh check out their other album depression cherry it says it right in the title (laughs) so would you say there obviously you've just mentioned that album would you say a lot of their discography kind of has the same tones or do they do any like upbeat kind of stuff as well <laughs> every once in a while they do a nice little upbeat one but it's they're they're very melancholy um mm-hmm. 
I, yeah, it's, it's stated like it, it's less about the actual words to me and the, the journey that they go on. I mean, in, in Teen Dream, for example, I, I would say the arc of it, so to speak, it starts off very light and cheerful. Mm-hmm. And then it takes a real dive in the middle and gets real desperate towards the end. And then finally, the last song provides that last bit of hope. And and I, I think that's why I kind of like depressing albums like this, assuming that they're not all one tone, is that they can take you on that ride. And and through bringing the person listening down to those dark depths, it's it's possible to, to bring them back up to a lighter place afterwards. It just makes it that much more exhilarating. Definitely. I would say it's the album itself was already in my good books because uh, it does what what I love albums doing sometimes, which is transitioning between uh, tracks. So it feels like one long uh, song, which I absolutely love because there was like a little part between Zebra and Silver Soul. And I was like, this better transition, this better transition. And it did. And it felt like it was just in a continuation of the same song, which is lovely. And I love that. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I, I love all albums that just continue all the way through. And in, in, mm-hmm. in fact, I mean, maybe this makes me sound pretentious and that, that's fine. But I, I, I only listen to albums. I, I, I rarely listen to single songs. There are exceptions, but, but if I'm diving into, and if I'm diving into music, like I want to hear the whole thing as one experience. And when it's broken apart, it's not as effective for me. Mm-hmm. No, I totally get that. Sometimes albums do it purposefully. It kind of have an abrasive feel, but some of my favorite albums feel like one long uh, track or at least have t- specific transitions uh, with songs. I mean, again, I'm going to, I've brought it up in a different episode, but I'm going to bring it up again because it's one of my favorite albums of all time. Blonde by Frank Ocean. It's not a one long song with transitions, but there's a, for example, there's a transition between Skyline 2 and Self Control 2 is some of the best songs on the album. And it just feels really nice. It just feels like a two part a record or two part a so- uh, song in a sense, which I really, really like. That's awesome. I'm gonna to have to check that one out. If, oh, definitely. If you if you really want to see the master of this technique, I, I'm about to pronounce exactly how gay I am with this next reference. But <laughs> um, but Janet Jackson is the freaking master of this. Like her her album Rhythm Nation is just so well put together from start to finish. It was one of the first albums that I ever heard, even as a kid, that felt like it was constructed more like a novel <laughs> than a CD. It, it just, it, it tells such a coherent story. There's transitions between every track linking one song to the next. It, she really is kind of, kind of one of the, the great, ma- maybe unappreciated masters of this technique. Oh, fantastic. I will definitely uh, check that out as well. But yeah, Blonde by Frank Ocean is a fantastic album. I mean, some people think it's a little bit boring. I did it first, but now it's like my favorite album ever. And it has a similar thing with Teen Dream where it's very melancholic. You got to listen to it when you're, kind of down the dumps a little bit or it's just like it's a kind of relaxing album as well i guess but it's very good and i'm gonna go through some of the songs i liked walk in the park was lovely i really really liked walk in the park uh take care was also a really nice kind of close at the album what, what kind of uh, songs do you like specifically from it so i i love walk in the park mostly because i i love songs that don't go where you expect them to i, I i'm more than familiar with like the pop formula because because that stayed in my my childhood was there was a lot of music in my childhood and I, mm-hmm. I learned a lot of those things just from my parents. But so, so when songs are experimental or kind of proggy or take some really unexpected turns, I, I just dig that. And the ending of, of walk in the park just goes in such a radically different direction than the rest of the song where the song yeah. is kind of, kind of flat in terms of, of pacing. And then at the end, it just ramps up to 11 out of nowhere. Yeah, It does. Yeah. And I do love yeah. that. 
uh, kind of a Braze event. It's similar again. I'm going to again link it to Frank Ocean's album, but in Ivy, it's a very, very calm and relaxing song. And then at the end of Ivy, you've got like really harsh vocals, really high pitched, harsh vocals. And then you hear like Frank just like smashing shit or somebody in the song smashing like shit in the background. And it's just kind of like a build up of this. And then it's just like all comes crashing down. And then we're on to the next song, which I love so much. Yeah, I, I, I think my, my favorite album, may, one of my favorite albums ever, uh, that's just a master of inventive song structure, uh, Radiohead's Hail to the Thief. Every Ooh. song on that is completely unpredictable. Everything's linked together. And there, there's things that, there, there's pieces on that album that I've listened to like 20 or 30 times, and I'm still dissecting something new from it every single time. It's just so detailed. Mm-hmm. Definite recommend from me. Oh, I, I have not listened to Hail to the Thief yet, but my friend is like obsessed with Radiohead. And he's told me to listen to... I've listened to OK Computer, fantastic album. And his favorite is In Rainbows. And I did really, really like In Rainbows when I listened to it. So that's a yeah, good in, choice as well. In Rainbows is probably my favorite Radiohead album as well. But Hail to the Thief and Kid A are, are definitely up there. I don't, th- I don't think they've ever produced anything bad. But if I had to pick favorites, that's kind of where I'd land. Opening to Kid A is just like sets the tone. Like everything in its right place is just like... Do, 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 do. and it's just like i'm like oh shit this is gonna be a like a roller coaster of emotions <laughs> so yeah a- that album took me i think 20 times to like and then i loved it like the first 20 times i'm like what am i listening to and then afterwards i'm like oh this is amazing mm-hmm. and it is, it is i have a lot of patience <laughs> yeah definitely and going back to that point we were making before about how people think and listen to music so differently like, somebody might listen to that album and be like, all right, it's a classic, straight off the bat. Someone might hate it. And I know it's like a basic thing to say. Or it's like an obvious thing to say, but today, an obvious thing to say, but music is so subjective. But And I know that sometimes is a bit annoying because why can't everybody like everything I like? But I think it just makes everything so interesting that everybody has different tastes and everybody has different things they love and things they don't dislike. And that is definitely something I'm kind of trying to explore on the podcast because I have so many diverse picks for films and diverse picks for albums. And it's opening me up to more uh, different things I wouldn't normally listen to as well, which is lovely. Yeah, that's that's the interesting thing about music. And I mean, even if somebody tells me like that they, they like a song, which which I don't, I'll never judge them for it for that exact reason. Everyone's ears are just tuned so differently. It's impossible for everyone to like everything. Music... I, I think even the concept of music critics is is ridiculous. I mean, I'm fine. I love seeing what other people think about albums, whether they like them or not. But but as long as those are always treated subjectively, because I don't think it's mm-hmm. it's really possible unless oh, you're definitely. listening for something very technical to put an objective rating on a piece of music. Oh, definitely. I mean, one of my most hated uh, reviews ever done by uh, the Needle Drop, Anthony Fontano, is he gave Swimming by Mac Miller a free and me is a big Mac Miller fan. I'm just like, how the fuck can you listen to that album and think it's free? But at the same time, it kind of goes against my point of music being subjective, etc. Like, I can listen to that album and be like, it is at least an eight or a seven. It, it like a push. But then Fantana might listen to it and be like, that's trash. But then I might listen to Death Grips and think it's a pile of shit. I don't. I like Death Grips a little bit, but Again, he gave Death Grips Money Store a 10. Somebody might listen to that album and be like, yo, just sounds like fucking noise. But, and that's just kind of how people listen to music differently. So it's really interesting. 
Yeah, I think I think the biggest example for me is is I love MGMT, but their third mm-hmm. album was very very poorly critically received, and it, it's one of my favorite albums of all time. Like, it may may th- this is weird, but when I listen to songs, like I tend to like visualize textures or colors, and I just find the texture of of that third album just so interesting. Uh, another another journey kind of feeling just going on it. Just when I listen to it, I'm just taken through not just an array of emotions, but mm-hmm but even even visuals yeah. it's it's unlike anything i've i've ever i've ever heard and i i just don't understand is actually that, um, i do understand the hate but it shouldn't exist is what i'm saying is that a uh, congratulations that one? Oh, that's the second one the uh, third one. one's actually self-titled just mgmt, MGMT. it's MGMT. it's very unlike their other stuff but it's it's well worth it if you're willing to stick with it oh it's interesting i haven't listened i've listened to oracular spectacular by front of back because that's a fantastic that was a classic album and I've listened to Little Dark Age because I love Little Dark Age. Me and Michael on Little Dark Age is such a good song. So good. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. That that album came out of nowhere. That mm-hmm. album, it's one of my top uh, albums of the year it came out. Just They just dropped that like it was hot. <laughs> that was an odd analogy. but Yeah. Uh, coming up to like 45 minutes. So I think we should move on to the film choice of this week which was Little Shop of Horrors, directed by Frank Oz. One of my favorites. I, I, I was saying to you before we started, I really should have picked the Little Shop of Horrors OST mm-hmm. as the album to talk about, but that would have been too much Little Shop of Horrors, I think. Now, obviously, before I'm hoping that people have actually uh, watched the film and listen to the album so you can kind of get the most out of discussion but if not obvious spoilers for little shop of horrors because we're going to be discussing it now i've got to say off the bat i was going to give this film in my head a three stars but then the, the plant picked up the fucking gun and i was like right this is an obvious extra half star at least added to this because the plants picked up a gun and i love that shit so much it was so funny yeah pl- pl- plants with a gun is like instant instant upgraded rating imagery <laughs> it's perfect Something I, I, found... I love every moment of that movie. Go on mm-hmm. though. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, something I found really interesting is I watched this and I was like, yo, what the fuck? That's a morbid ass ending. And apparently there's like two different endings or something. And I was oh, like, wait, what? which version did you watch? I watched the one where the um the plant ate Seymour and then um the corporate company went forward and distributed all the little plants in like basically the plants oh. took over fucking america and then uh, you watched the director's cut yeah well i watched whatever was on my um <clears throat> totally legal streaming site so you know yeah that's the one <laughs> the, which one w- would you say is because i i see i don't worry i watched a clip of the uh other ending which was the one where obviously he shoots the plant doesn't he and then uh, he goes and lives a happy life with uh, audrey yeah which one do you prefer <sighs> This is probably a controversial opinion because, and even for myself in the sense that I I really respect the original visions of of directors and the original visions of artists, and I'd love to support that. But as a personal preference, I was so, I I liked the happy ending. I'm going to go ahead and say Mm -hmm. it. It wasn't, it wasn't maybe the best ending or even the right ending, but I really liked it. It just made the film wrap up so nicely. And especially because I watched this movie for the first time as a kid and it was kind of a more pleasant experience to end it that way than to watch plants rip apart the entire world and then yeah. the end appearing. I got it. I do agree to some extent, but it was also a nice breath of fresh air, this director's cut, because the, I don't know, it's just like every single 
the musical usually goes like happy ending, couple live happily ever after, etc. And I just loved how this one was like. I saw this comment. I was because I was rewatching the ending a little bit because it really intrigued me. And uh, there was like on a YouTube comment, and somebody put like, "I prefer this ending because it kind of brings home the message of if you deal with the devil." Uh, be kind of prepared to pay the price and I do think that is exactly the homage of the kind of messages of the films somehow obviously Seymour begins to feed this plant and he begins to feed the plant because he craves kind of you know publicity and like a good life and now he's paying the price for it because you know he's, he's he got greedy and he you know sacrificed other people's lives in order to make him I know he's an innocent you know innocent guy but at the end of the day, he did sacrifice other people's lives in order to benefit himself, which is really interesting to look at. Yeah, I mean, I think the original ending, uh, uh, the the plants destroy everything ending, has much more artistic merit and actually solidifies it as as a Greek tragedy, which it was based off of. I mean, you even have the uh, the um, the three singers; they're they're essentially the the Greek choir mm-hmm. that kind of function as the narrator for the story. But you know, Seymour absolutely deserves like getting completely destroyed by that plan by the end. <laughs> he he does not deserve forgiveness, but as a pleb consumer, I I just liked walking away with yeah, a happy ending. That's fair. Even though it's wrong. It's wrong. No, I shouldn't re- have happened. Yeah. I really <laughs> liked it. I think Rick Moranis was fantastic in it as well. Rick Moranis is always a, you know, a classic uh, actor. I think he's obviously I've previously seen him in uh, Honey I Shrunk the Kids. I watched that when I was a kid. Fantastic. And uh, I think yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, no. A lot of like some people have criticized the movie version of this of this Broadway musical um, for Rick Moranis being cast and not really having like an incredible singing voice. But I I I think they missed the point. Like his delivery is is absolutely fantastic. He's Mm -hmm. not belting out these crazy high notes, but he doesn't need to. He gets the emotion across so well, and he's just so funny in that role. I can't imagine anybody else playing him at this point. And I do get that. Um, that people would be kind of disappointed because you know it's a musical you got to focus on the the score and the soundtrack but at the same time I think sometimes when if you watch the Broadway version or whatever and you're supposed to be you know having this innocent nerdy main character who makes mistakes I feel like the singing voice shouldn't be as confident in you know solid I think it should have a little bit of flaw to it because it adds to the kind of immersion of the character if you know what I mean it's hard to explain, but yeah, no, he's kind of like like the equivalent of like a like the the quote unquote straight man in a comedy where he's <laughs> kind of more normal and everybody mm-hmm. else around him is completely over the top. But I guess mm-hmm. in terms of singing voice, mostly in yeah, this case, yeah. One gripe I had with the film was I know this is like an obvious thing to say, but like I know it was a obvious. I think it was like a stylistic choice in terms of vocals, but like. Audrey's voice, man, like, sometimes I just couldn't stand, like, I couldn't stand it sometimes. It was just too high-pitched and too, oh, I just don't know, I just didn't vibe with her at all. Oh, she's so funny. Well, I, I think, like, I, I love the contrast, though, because she does have this kind of squeaky, a little bit obnoxious voice through most of the film, and then you just get to the Suddenly Seymour song, and you're like, oh, wait a second, she's got an incredible voice. See, and she just mm-hmm. uses it for two moments in the film, and it's just brilliantly done when they execute it. It was it was lovely, but again, I that was something I was gonna bring up. I was like, her voice, her normal voice, doesn't l- like link with uh, her singing voice, and it kind of took me out a little bit. I was like, uh, like, doesn't really kind of represent the character well. It's like the opposite of Rick Moranis's character, if you know what I mean. 
it's basically well that's how what i think anyway i mean they're both everybody was um everybody acted in it fantastically and i've got to say um something that i realized about the film was i could tell off the bat it was a broadway like a broadway adaptation to a film which is not bad by the way that is not a bad thing at all but it it was really interesting to kind of there was some like the blocking and the choreography i was like yeah i can tell this is an adaptation to a film from a broadway yeah i i'm a huge fan of broadway musicals but i i usually can't stand movie adaptations and i'd mm-hmm. say like little shop of horrors greece and like chicago are like maybe the three brilliant movie adaptations maybe west side story as well but er- everything else unfortunately uh i i, I would tend to avoid no, like don't even get me started on on, on cats or the miserable oh god yeah i think when it comes to, i i've got greece i haven't i've things i've never seen greece i've got it on vhs oh no but i've never seen it I, obviously just i know like straight to the songs. sequel <laughs> just kidding don't don't do that go on no, I was just trying to think of other parts. That, like, dentist, that entire dentist part with Bill Murray, like, what the fuck? I mean... Oh, it's it, so good. It, it, yeah, at the same time, it really fit the tone of the musical. It was, like... Because the entire, like, tonal shift of the musical is very weird. Like, weird shit happens all the time, which is kind of really funny. So, I vibed with it. It was funny. Steve Martin's performance, like, oh, yeah. makes me laugh every single time like i i've honestly seen that movie like probably over a hundred times like there used to be a time where i could recite it line by line even and even now steve martin is hysterical to me every single time it's fantastic and i mean he's the villain obviously or well he used to be a villain for a partial section of the film but you can't help to like kind of love him a little bit because he just looked like the way his car how funny his character is and how he acts is like really interesting and it is definitely over it's it's overreacting if you know what i mean but it's good because that's that's what a kind of broadway it would be in broadway anyway that and that's again another element of the film his character and how he acts it is like i can tell this is being adapted from a broadway screenplay which is really interesting Oh yeah, no, he's he's so over the top. I mean, the entire thing is campy, but it, it's based off, it's like a, I think it's a 60s Roger Corman film. I've actually never seen the original, so mm-hmm. it's kind of like the musical equivalent of a B-movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, all that camp, I, I'm sure, like some of it is, is from the times, but some of it, I would hope, is intentional. And well, obviously we can't talk about this film without mentioning the music, the music was so upbeat and wacky, and I loved it. That was that was probably my favorite part of the film. Obviously, wow, what a surprise. The favorite part about a musical was the music, but, I mean, it was fantastic. I loved it. I think it was once the... Because I was, I was like, okay, the music's not too bad, it, with, like, the downtown song, and then um, the other one is what I forgot what it's called. But once the, like, the feed me in the, the plant started singing... I was like, okay, now we're picking up some pace. Now we're like picking up some steam. I like it. It's cool. Yeah, no, the music is is absolutely incredible. Uh, in in that musical, the the first song, "Little Shop of Horrors," like the the harmonies that that the three of them sing together when when they hold the note at the end of each major chorus is just it's it's outstanding. Just so much depth and mm-hmm. and technique on display. It it baffles me. Uh, that somebody that a human could have written that line um, mm-hmm. but as stated i'm kind of a, a little shop of horrors fanboy <laughs> what's your favorite song on the musical would you say uh 
I, I'm going to have to say a Skid Row, honestly. It's oh, just, yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the lyrics are just so depressing yet still funny. There's so many moving parts to it. There, there's a lot of depth. As somebody who used to um, live in live in L.A., like I, I can I can relate to to certain passages of it for sure. Let's just say it's it's good. It's got a lot of meaning and it just sets up the story so well in every event to come. It shows it shows what the stakes are, uh, and what there is to gain and what there is to lose. I'd probably say my favorite was um, what's it was it like Mean Green Mother from Outer Space? I think it's called. Oh yeah, I love that. It was just so upbeat, so catchy, and it was again since I like the you know more kind of upsetting ending, I think, or the bad ending in a sense. I like how it's the songs about um, Seymour coming to terms with paying the price for what he's done essentially which isn't which is cool because i used to obviously yeah because the, the plant's supposed to be the villain obviously but i just it, it's similar to the dentist like you can't help but love the villains because they have so much character and just so much humor attached to them as well yeah that that song i i believe that song actually wasn't in the original broadway version oh, they really? wrote that one exclusively for the for the movie yeah and it it turned out just as well i actually w- when i was in high school i i, I showed that movie to um to to one of the classes we were in it was like mm-hmm. everyone was bringing in their own movies that week and, oh yeah and i'd forgotten about all the profanity and violence in that particular <laughs> song and uh you know my classmates loved it um the teacher maybe not as much but yeah, it's still one of my favorite songs because it, it picks up it picks up the face isn't it because because like seymour's like this is your plan all along and then the plant's like no shit sherlock it's just like funny shit i love it and like i said that's the one where that's obviously the part of the film where the plant picks up the fucking gun and just starts shooting and i'm like right this is awesome this is fucking sick i love it <laughs> it's it's so good like the the puppet wizardry on display is ridiculous because oh, yeah. that's the thing it's none of its visual effects is it it's all puppetry which is so cool or at least most yeah, of it is it, it's amazing how much personality an anthropomorphic plant can have and i mean obviously it's some of the voice acting but especially when the during the end of the film when it goes from just his head to like he has like little heads as well like speaking and singing the lyrics as well and there's just so much going on with one puppet and you kind of it you kind of fail like you forget essentially that it's all puppetry and none of it's cgi and that because it was i mean it was a film made in 86 or whatever or 85 86 um yeah so i will always have a soft spot for any film that uses practical effects Mm -hmm. definitely so cool. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm sure in 20 years they're gonna release a remake where everything's in CG. CGI. And Studio Like is probably gonna do it. But uh, oh my god, no, like I... it. Like it would be so <laughs> good on it though. Imagine like a stop motion one. Oh my god, that would be insane. But or no, Illumination. That's what I was thinking. Illumination. That wouldn't, no, be, as, illumination. That wouldn't be as good. <laughs> but um, I I think the the 80s original will always be a classic, no matter what happens to it in the future. Oh, definitely. Because I mean, I was speaking to my friend who is it really into musicals? And he was like, you've never seen it? And I was like, no, it's always been on my list of things to see, but I'm not a big musical person. I I think the only music, see, that's the thing. I don't even like musicals. I don't, I usually dislike them. I mean, Hamilton's okay. Hamilton's also long as fuck. I watched it on Disney Plus and it was really long, uh, but obviously that's just how it goes. So that was all right. It was good, I guess, but one, if you can count it as a musical, I obviously one of my favorite films of all time is The Lion King. And that's a film, oh, yeah, that's a film I really enjoy. So I was going into this film kind of thinking about it like, uh, it's, you know, it's a musical. I don't really like musicals apart from Lion King, but 
I came back, you know, slightly surprised. I was like, well, I actually thoroughly enjoyed that because I think it used uh, the elements of a musical because obviously musicals are supposed to be cheesy and overreacted and stuff. And I think that was done really well in the film as well. So Yeah, absolutely. Although the Lion King Broadway musical, by the way, is fantastic if you ever get a chance. Oh, I need to, because uh, I think they have the, the Lion King musical. I saw it when I was really, really little in London, but I I have no recollection of what it's like. And I've been meaning to go back and watch it in London uh, when I get the chance, when I can get the time off uh, from work or when blooming COVID's all over, I'll probably go back in there and watch it because it's definitely something yeah. I want to experience. It's probably going to be a while before any of mm. us <laughs> watch another thing oh, on definitely. live. Yeah, so um, one an hour now, so we'll close up a little bit. Just to kind of reiterate everybody, um, I have a Letterboxd account where I review all the films that we watch on the show. I'm going to have a list of the ones that I've kind of enjoyed best or worst. And you kind of, you know, maybe send me a DM on Twitter at Hypebeast Down whether you actually agree with my list or you think I'm my opinion is absolutely garbage. Who knows? But obviously, by the time this episode's released, I will have a few uh, films on there, so you can check that out. I always leave a link to it on my Twitter. You can just go for my tweets. If not, it's Matthew underscore Beatty, B-A-Y-T-E-E. Check that out. So in terms of the guests this week, definitely check out their band, uh, Divine Dragon Cannon, and also your game, Mike Dies, uh, which is out on Steam, and it will be out on other platforms soon, hopefully. Fingers crossed. That's fantastic stuff. And thank you very much for coming on. It was lovely to speak to you about the fairy community, the kind of creative stuff you make, and obviously the album and film choices as well was really good. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, great. Cool. That's all for me this week. Thank you very much, and I'll see you guys next week. <laughs>